Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I'm here with my co-host. Gypsy. And today we have Jay, sorry, Charles J. Reed. He is a CPA, a U.S. tax court practitioner, a former member of the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council, a Vietnam veteran, and a founder of Get Payroll. Welcome, Charles. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure having you here. So to get started a little bit, you have a couple of things going there. I'm interested in knowing, you know, where are you from? And tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like <laughs> growing up, where you're from and what led you into um, the career that you're in now. Sure. Uh, I'm a Midwestern boy. I grew up in Iowa, Davenport, Iowa. Okay. Um, Dad was a uh, naval officer during World War II and was in the reserve while I grew up. He and my mother worked together in a family business. They, he was an insurance consultant. So I thought, you know, you're, you're working with your spouse was a, a normal, natural thing until I went to work with my spouse in our business and found out it's an unnatural act. Mm. Uh, but a uh, graduate of high school at 16, I was... Uh, didn't didn't like school, uh, very poor teachers as far as I'm concerned. So I skipped a year and, and got out, um, worked for about six months, eight months. I was 16 when I got out. Worked, uh, cook, uh, long distance toll testament, a couple of things, full, a couple of full-time jobs. And uh, in April, after I graduated in June, I joined the United States Marine Corps. Spent four years. Um, two years overseas. I was trained as a computer programmer and systems engineer. And when I got to Vietnam, I got myself transferred to a combat outfit because I was young and stupid. Uh, so I'm a uh, Marine combat veteran. Came back to Kansas City was where I was assigned. Uh, met and married my wife. Uh, the best decision I ever made was to marry Ruth. We were married for 45 years before she passed. She had five kids when I married her. I just claim insanity. But as I said, we managed 45 years. Or the biggest one so, in the world. <laughs> uh, I found out after I got out that my military experience was not valued. <clears throat> no matter how precise it was or how good it was, uh, by people who had never been in the military and didn't understand what the military brought to, to a person in their training. So decided I'd have to get my credentials, went to college, got interested in accounting, um, was awarded my BBA and my MBA very quickly because I was motivated and I enjoyed college much more than I did high school. Um, I graduated from high school with a D average. I graduated from college uh, with an MBA in two and a half years and graduated with honors. So I'm not stupid. I just need to be motivated. <laughs> but there was a big gap between high school and college. Oh, yeah. I was uh, 25 when I started college. I've been in the Marine Corps and been out for a couple of years. Uh, and I, it was a commuter school, uh, university, North. It was North Texas State University. It's now the University of North Texas uh, up in Denton. And so I commuted back and forth, worked full time. Um, Still had two of the kids at home. The others were grown. And uh, got my MBA, sat for and passed my CPA exam while I was 
still in graduate school, and went to work for Texas Instruments. I worked in the corporate world for about 15 years, lots of good experience, lots of different kinds of companies. Uh, moved up the ladder as you know, financial analyst, assistant controller, controller, so on and so forth. And uh, at the end of 15 years, I realized I was never going to run a major corporation. I did not have the political skills. I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. So uh, if I was going to run a company, I was going to have to start my own. So Ruth and I started our company here just over 30 years ago and uh, still running it. So it was a mobile accounting service and the mobile went away and I sold off the accounting a few years ago and we're just in the payroll business now. That's that. That's that's the short one. When when I guess growing up before you went into um, the Marine, you said the Marine, correct? Yes, sir. What what really kind of I, I guess you said your your parents. It was in your um, your family already. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where you felt relaxed or felt motivated enough to go in at such a early age. We had a, a um, guest yesterday that also, or was it day before yesterday, that also went in at a very early age? Well, my father was Navy. Grandfather was uh, Army in World War One and Two. Um, my uh, only uncle on my mother's side was killed uh, over Berlin in World War II. Uh, we go back generations of citizen soldiers back to the Revolutionary War. Um, two of my sisters served. The third one used to fly in and out of Vietnam for Pan American on uh, military airlift command flights. Is your sister? So that was my one of my sisters. Wow. The other two, one joined the Marine Corps, one joined the Army. So we all serve. It's just it, our family has always served. Okay. Uh, all three of my boys uh, were military. So it's just we're a military family. We always have been. We have been for 250 years that I know of. So. You mentioned earlier, uh, people don't didn't value your military. Um, I guess the value that the military gave you, and what do you feel like are the most important things that you got from serving in military? First of all, discipline, uh, both internal and external. Uh, you learn discipline, or you regret it. <laughs> <laughs> so you learn to discipline yourself. You learn to accept discipline and correction. But the most important thing I think I got out of the Marine Corps was the leadership skills. And the in the Marine Corps, it's mission, men, self. So you accomplish the mission regardless of what, what it takes. You get it done. You adapt, you overcome, you, you get it done. Then you take care, the next priority is your men. You take care of your men. You see to it that they're taken care of before you take care of yourself. This was brought home to me. I was at uh, Girl Warfare School in, or in Northern Okinawa, and we'd been out in the field for several days without hot food, and we finally got a hot meal delivered out to us. And the lieutenant, who was our company commander, made sure every one of us got a hot meal before he got in line and got his own. That's part of leadership. That's part of mission men self. And you learn that and it works 
And if you follow that, you get the job done, you take care of your, your employees, you take care of your clients, then you take care of yourself. Uh, park your ego at the door. Uh, it's, you're, you're the least important person. And when you realize that, uh, it makes life a lot easier. It really does. What was the, the biggest um, transformation you had to make when you left the military and coming into the world? And it's a difficult one because the military is hierarchical. Everybody, everybody is either subordinate to you or you are subordinate to them. It may come down to uh, the minute that you achieved rank. If you achieved rank uh, at 901 and he got the same rank at 902, you're senior. And you lead and he follows. So it's all hierarchy, everything. Real life doesn't work that way. <laughs> you can't treat employees that way. You can't say jump because I'm the boss. Uh, you do that and you're soon not going to have any employees. Yeah. I, I've seen that. I, uh, one of the companies I worked for, the boss would uh, about once a year take us all outside and point out the fact that it was his name on the wall of the building. Actually, it was his father's name. But, uh, you know, he inherited the company. And that didn't, that didn't do any good for morale. And after I left the company, it lasted about six months before he was bankrupt mm. because he let his ego get in the way. <coughs> Excuse me. And he thought he was better than we were. He literally did. And uh, it destroyed his company. I guess since you brought up ego and dealing with companies, um, what are some of the important things that some um, – business owners do have to, you know, do when separating ego from business and things like that, because I've seen, yeah, I've basically seen some business owners kind of throw that ego out there before the business is even going. Yep. Happens all the time. Uh, small businesses. Uh, it's, it's a very destructive thing. Uh, you, you have to understand that, you're probably not the smartest person in the room. And that's not your job. Your job is to hire the smartest person in the room. Your job is to get people to work together. Your job is to make their jobs easier. Uh, you know, if you're smarter and better at everything, uh, then why, why, why do you have them? Why do you buy? Why do you employ them? Okay, uh, just do it. And you can't. When you start out as an entrepreneur, you wear all the hats, and you can see what that's done for me. <laughs> okay, so uh, immediately as you hire people, you start getting rid of the hats, and you have to give the authority along with the responsibility. And you have to understand, and this was the hard one for me to learn, that it's substance that matters, not style. If somebody does the job and gets it done and gets the result you want, but they don't do it the way you do it, it doesn't matter. They were able to get it done in, in the same amount of time or less than you would have done it had you they done, they'd done it your way, and the result is what you want, and they're happy because they did it their way, you're happy with the result, the hell with style. It doesn't matter. 
style is, is highly overrated. Now, obviously, there's things in presenting to the public and brand and, and keeping things uh, within that uh, structure and so on that are important. But internally, uh, if, you know, dress code. Dress code's real simple. You must. Dress. Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. It, it doesn't matter to me much what they wear uh, as long as the public's not in. If the public's in, they need to be, you know, this is professional because it's other people's point of view. But, you know, I've learned that the girls wear these sandals, ladies, excuse me, that wear these sandals, and I think they're flip-flops. But they, they tell me they're sandals. And I've just given up fighting. Then it doesn't matter. You know, they're happy with them. What, what do I care? I don't wear them. You know? Uh, so th- these are things that you can't let your ego think that you're, you're, you're better, smarter, uh, faster than they are. Uh, your job is to help them be successful and be efficient and solve problems for them. That's what a CEO does. He's, 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 he's the fixer. He makes sure that the other people can get their jobs done effectively and efficiently. Uh, then we all profit. What's how long, um, when I guess to experience what would, when you would call it experiencing failure in a business as a, um, a business owner, how long are you looking at before you actually considering, like you said, six months after you left a certain job, it basically went bankrupt for that per that in particular business owner. When do you think he had to see enough failure to say, okay, it's time for me to either call it quits or file for bankrupt. I don't think he ever did. I, I don't think he ever thought that he'd messed up. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever thought he failed. I think he died thinking that uh, circumstances and people had conspired against him. Mm. Uh, I, you know, he was convinced that he was, uh, you know, smarter, better than anybody else. And, uh, you can convince him otherwise. Um, he was a sociopath. So, you know, it's uh, such a hard life, right? That's, it's, it's like a, a thin line between, you know, I guess considering a failure and considering it, you know, when do you know, or, or how do you, you know, a person's ego killed their business or if it was just yeah. a bad timing like for and, and, i'm sorry go ahead go ahead i'm sorry no you're, you're absolutely right and and i agree and it's not how many times you get knocked down that's important it's how many times you get back up that's important okay. and i've had my ups and downs in this business and i've had other failures and other places at times um and you need to be able to look at it and say this isn't going to work. I need to pivot. I need to do something different or I need to close this down and start in something new or go back to work for somebody else or whatever. But that's being rational. And not everybody is rational. Uh, I have complained about American corporate management uh, for 50 years. I think um, they don't teach management in business school. I wasn't taught good management. I had management classes, but they were uh, textbook. They weren't real. I, I taught business for five years in high school. Um, I'd gotten to a point in my life I felt I could give back. So I went to the local high school and said, hey, can I teach business? 
So for five years, I taught intro to business every morning, first period, and then I came to the office. It's a nice thing about being the boss. You can do things like that, okay? <laughs> so I taught business for five years in high school. And I would bring in business people and politicians and um, educators and other people from the community to talk to my students, to give them real-world experience. Uh, and I would abuse the textbook because it was, in some places, just garbage. Uh, this is what was in the textbook, but it had no bearing on reality. So, and I would explain to them that, and I would make them do research on the newspapers and magazines and other things, and then criticize and, and categorize and, and understand what was marketing and what was real, uh, what was hype, uh, what was uh, abuse statistics and so on, to, to teach them the, the real world. And they really enjoyed that because they didn't get that from their other teachers. They got textbook and they got academia. They didn't get real world. And um, most of the teachers, uh, high school and college, have never been out there in the real world. They're professional teachers. And so they teach what they've been taught. They don't teach the real world. And management is not well taught. So it's one of those things. Hopefully you learn it. And you're successful, and you grow your business, and you make money, and, you know, you retire, and so on and so forth. But uh, a lot of American management never learns how to manage a business. What were some of the challenges that um, you witnessed when you and your wife first opened your business and decided to kind of spread things <laughs> well, out? Well, marriage is a partnership. Mm -hmm. and. We'd been married 20 years when we started the business. So we had a relationship and it had rules. Uh, every marriage does. And you violate those rules at your own risk. Okay. <laughs> they, they've been, they've been hard fought and, and, and laid down with sweat and blood and tears and arguments and pain and sleeping on the couch and everything else. But you've worked about. And they work. And after 20 years, they're pretty well cast in stone. Well, when you work with each other then, it's a whole different set of rules. Because <laughs> I was the professional. She's the people person. She, she, everybody loved Ruth. The, the biggest question Ruth had in, in her life was, why'd she marry an asshole like me? <laughs> uh, but we loved each other. We were married for 45 years. So it worked. Uh, it taught me never to question anybody's marriage because if mine could work, Lord, anybody's could work. I don't know. <laughs> so we had to negotiate a whole new set of rules for the office because there were things I had to say, do it this way. Well, I'm a, no, look, I'm the, I'm the accountant. I'm the CPA. Do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell my wife at home to do it this way. Right. I say, how would you like me to do it, dear? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Communication you know, happy is wife, everything. happy life. Yes, communication is everything. <laughs> yeah. So we had, to, we had to set a whole new set of rules. 
And then I would want to go home with that rule set. And of course, that didn't work. <laughs> and she'd want to bring in the rule set from home to the office. And that didn't work. So it was reestablishing what the relationship was, depending upon where we were at and what we were discussing. And she had one terrible habit. We'd get home. We'd have dinner. We'd get ready for bed. We'd get into bed. And she'd have one more thing about work she had to get off her chest. So she'd turn to me and tell me this. Well, at that point, it was off her chest. She'd roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> and I'd sit there and I'd worry about it for two, three, four hours until early morning. So we had to come to an agreement that after dinner, no more work. Sometimes that meant a very late dinner, but we, we pretty well adhered to that because otherwise I wouldn't get any sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for definitely sharing that with us. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do you do that? How do you turn off work? <laughs> she has a hard time turning off. <laughs> and I understand that uh, yeah. because as an entrepreneur, you live it. But you got rules in your marriage and you got rules in your business and and with a little work and, and a lot of cooperation, you can switch from the, the rule set to the rule set as need be. But uh, it is, marriage is a partnership. When you work with your spouse in your business, it's a partnership. It's just two different partnerships. Yeah. <laughs> We can say that we're we're happily married. We've been together um, over ten years now. Um, we're actually having our fifth year anniversary this year, and that's kind of one of the major goals with this project is us working together. And we work together Good. really well. We've been working together for a while, so we definitely you know understand the magic of being able to work with your spouse as well. It's a it, it it's a wonderful thing. It really can be. And I'll tell you something else, which you have to look forward to. It's somewhere between 20 and 25 years of marriage. All the arguments have worked out. Uh, you'll, you'll get to them and you'll start to have an argument and you'll start laughing because you've already had this argument at least once, if not several times, and already know who's going to win. <laughs> so, uh, And you'll start finishing each other's sentences and there'll be a lot of, very silent communication. Uh, Ruth used to say, I could, you know, I, I, I could put a whole paragraph into one shoulder shrug. So, <laughs> as, as you, as you go on and, and work together and get to know each other better and better and better, uh, that relationship can deepen hopefully, uh, a bunch and be very, very satisfying. Yes. I, I believe in marriage. I'm not going to do it again, but I believe <laughs> We do so. Yeah, it's it's been a, a like I said, a, a dream come true of a yeah. experience. A lot of people don't yeah. get to experience and kind of don't understand that. Even in you know, you sometimes you wish they taught love in school as well, you know, because that's a very important part of survival in the world that we live in. But you know, it's it's different. So I'm very grateful that I've had the chance to experience. Um, this kind of relationship and it is an honor to even speak with someone like you who's had the experience. Well, I, I think one of the things that helped us was both of our 
parents. Now, this was Ruth's second marriage, but my parents were married, oh my God, 60 some odd years before dad died. And her parents were married about the same amount of time before her father passed. And both of our fathers passed first. So we had grown up and seen our parents go through things and and come out on the other side whole. So we both had that role model to follow. And our marriage was not perfect. It was good. But it's not perfect. Uh, you know, and if a man tells you he has a perfect marriage, he will lie to you about other things. <laughs> I can agree with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, um, going back to someone just starting a business or trying to uh, start a business and trying to decide between the different types of business entities out there. Um, sure. What are, I guess, what are the differences and when do you want to go with one type versus the other? Well, there's, there's four basic types. Uh, a sole proprietor is the simplest thing. You can just say, I'm in business. Uh, there's some real downsides to it. Uh, it's unlimited personal liability. So if you screw up and, and cause a liable situation, they can take everything you own. Next one is a partnership where it's you and someone else, not your spouse, that are in business together. Partnerships tend not to work long-term. Uh, I have one client that's a partnership and has been together for 40 years, and it works because one guy's the technical guy and one guy's the sales guy, and they very very little overlap. So they, they basically have their jobs within the partnership and it works for them. The partnership is a very poor entity for tax purposes, uh, as is the sole proprietor, but the partnership's even worse. Then you can have a corporation or an LLC and that can be broken down into two different types. One is called a C corporation, which is a standard corporation, and one is an S corporation. A C corporation, a regular corporation, it's a, it's a state entity. You form the corporation with the state you're in or the state you choose. A C corporation pays double taxes. You, the corporation pays the taxes, and then the distributions, dividends to the owners are taxed again. So it's double taxation. An S corporation or an LLC that's treated as an S corporation is a tax advantaged entity where you don't pay profits at the entity level. The profits or loss flow through to your personal tax return and you pay taxes there. And there's a new number of tax advantages in doing that. So I recommend to my clients that once they get established, I mean, if, if they're doing this as a side gig and they're going to generate four, five, eight thousand dollars a year, just be a sole proprietor as long as you don't have liability issues. If you have liability issues, incorporate immediately. But once you get ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in revenue, incorporate, file as an S Corp, and use that as your entity. It's the it's the best tax advantage entity. And you can be an LLC. I don't care for LLCs as much as I do corporations. The law is not as fixed, 
and the lawyer is probably going to charge you more to form the LLC than to form the corporation. But And you can form these yourself. There's books on it. Uh, how to form a Texas corporation from NOLO Press is how I, what I used. It was at the time it was $12.95, I think. I think it's $30 now. And it's all the forms and everything else. So you can do it yourself. But consult with an attorney uh, or somebody that understands it so you know what you're doing or at least read the book. Uh, but an S corporation is, is the best tax advantaged entity. And so you can either do that as a corporation or as an LLC filing as an S corporation. Um, that, for your listeners, if they're interested, it's all in my book. <laughs> and uh, for the listeners not watching, uh, that was the Get Payroll book. Well, that's the payroll <laughs> oh, book. The payroll, the payroll book, book. Sorry. A, a guide for small businesses and startups. In other words, we wrote the book on payroll. Oh, so okay. actually, chapter one is entity selection because that's so important in payroll because okay. it also determines part of how people are paid and how the owners are paid and so on and so forth. Because in a sole proprietor, you have no payroll for the owners. In a partnership, you have no payroll for the owners. Okay, only in corporations uh, or LLCs do you have owners being employees and not always. So it's very complex. Yeah. So give me a little insight on, I guess, the trickle effect that happened with um, businesses closing. We, we got a chance to witness a lot of businesses closed in downtown LA. Um, that's where we are, by the way, for our listeners. Right. Um, can you walk me through some of the things that probably, you know, from when it cut off to the, the actions that most of the business owners had to make in the process of closing their business down because of certain things? Can you walk me through that a little bit? I can try. I mean, obviously, most of it was caused by government intervention, either an actual shutdown where you couldn't open or restrictions on your clients, restrictions on you, that you couldn't have people without masks, and, well, later on with masks and vaccinations and so on. Right. And it, uh, well, it was more, of the, I guess, the business part of when they got to a point. Right. To okay. Yeah, I'm, that's where I was going. Thank okay, you. Sorry about that. Uh, well, in many cases, you just close the doors, uh, do up your final tax return, uh, take the loss, and move on. Uh, you can file bankruptcy. Uh, a lot of people didn't. A lot of people just walked away. Uh, there's nobody that says you have to keep that business open in in the vast, vast majority of the cases. So you just close the door and give the building back to the landlord or to the bank and uh, go find a job. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier to close it down than it is to keep it going mm. or to start it. Uh, so it's a matter of uh, you just lock the door. Uh, you got to do up your final paperwork or the IRS will come after you, but you file that final tax return and, uh, uh you know, if it's a corporation and it owes taxes and you walk away, well, you just walk away. Uh, the corporation owns it. You were just a stockholder. So it doesn't matter. As a sole proprietor or a partner, they can come after you individually. But as a corporation, it's another advantage. If you owe taxes, corporate income taxes, the corporation owes them. All they can do is seize the assets. 
And if you gave all those up, there's not left to seize. You can just tell the IRS to go pound sand because <coughs> it's a corporate liability and the corporation has no assets. It, it, you know, everything went to the, the creditors and it's gone. So help yourself. It's another nice thing about having a corporation. You don't have that liability if there's a problem in the end. Now, if you didn't pay payroll taxes, that goes to the responsible parties of the business. And so if you're going to close the business, you want to make sure those are paid before anything else. Pay those before you pay the mortgage or the vendors or, or the IRS for income taxes or the state or anybody else. Pay those employment taxes that are due because you can't avoid those as a responsible party. And they will come after you personally. And your only recourse is to uh, keep them at bay for 10 years until the statute on collection runs out. So that's very critical in closing it down that you, you're careful with those employment taxes. What do you, um, what are some of the most common mistakes that businesses make in terms of payroll uh, or taxes? Okay. There's a couple of things that are real classic. One of which is paying people under the table. Oh, I'm a new business. I'm just going to pay them cash. Well, I'm just going to hire a contractor over here. You don't get to do that. You may, in fact, be able to hire a contractor, but if that person's really an employee under the law, you don't get to choose. There's a whole body of law, and it changes, on what's an employee and what's an independent contractor. And you got to know those. That's a big part of the book, is that you have to categorize these people, classify them, correctly. If you don't, the penalties interest can be massive, can put you out of business. It's put more than one business out of business by treating people as contractors when they're really employees. Then the IRS comes back and wants all those taxes plus penalties and interest. And you probably won't have it if you've been in business for a while. So it can be very devastating. So classification and the Labor Department estimates that 70% of all U.S. businesses misclassify employees, either as independent contractors or employees, or they're subject to overtime or not subject to overtime. And, it, it's, and you're going to get caught because if you have people that you have in the office and you're paying them as contractors and they should be employees, it just takes one of them, one time, going in down to the unemployment department and saying, you know, I got fired, I got laid off, I want my unemployment. And the unemployment people look at it and say, well, we have no record of you as an employee. Well, I worked for so-and-so for all these years. And within two weeks, they'll be out there auditing. And when they audit, and they see this, they're going to say, oh, this guy was really an employee, not a contractor. So you owe all this money and all these taxes, and he gets his unemployment. <laughs> Just one person, one time, and your whole scheme unravels. That's one of the, the very big things. Another one is filing and paying taxes. Uh, you have to know what you need to file. You have to know when you have to file it. You have to know how to calculate those taxes, when to pay them, where to pay them, how to fill out the forms, 
when the forms are due, all these things. This is why we're in business is we do this for our clients. That's a lot of, a lot of paperwork and a lot of deadlines. And if you miss a tax deposit deadline by one second, there's a penalty. One second, there's a penalty. So you've got to be on top of this stuff. And if you get distracted by your business, and you will, you're going to screw up and not make those deposits, not get those forms on time, not calculate them correctly, not know there was a change in the law, not know there was a change in the form, not know there was a change in the deposit schedule. All these things you won't know. And that's why I, we recommend, of course, the people outsource payroll because for pittance, we'll take care of all that for our clients. So it's, it's, it's not worth taking away your attention from your business to, to handle something like that. You know, I don't make my own clothes. I don't build my own cars. I don't grow my own food. Hell, I don't even mow my own lawn anymore. I hire people to do that. I outsource. And anytime your attention's drawn away from your core business, that's a mistake. You need to concentrate on your core business, the things that are critical to your business, not the ancillary stuff. Outsource that wherever possible. But that's how I make a living, so I believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned earlier about the the classifying employee versus independent contractor. And personally, like it gets a little fuzzy on um because sometimes you're a W-2, but you're still independent contractor. Sometimes you get an option 1099 versus corp to corp. And anyway, it gets a little fuzzy. How do you distinguish between the two? Okay, there's, a, there's several ways. First of all, there's 20 common law rules, and the preponderance of those determine. There's also rules promulgated by the IRS, which have changed repeatedly in the last few years. Uh, there was the Trump administration went through a whole rulemaking process. And in March of last year, their whole new rule on independent contractors was supposed to go in. And the day before it was supposed to become effective, the Biden administration canceled it. They're going to issue new rules, but it has to go through the rulemaking process and will take some time. So you may not be able to determine accurately there's two ways if you're not sure. One, you can file an SS8 with the Internal Revenue Service, and they will tell you. And they will tell you they're employees, okay? Because <laughs> they prefer to have employees. It improves tax collection and tax compliance. They'd much rather have the taxes withheld and deposited uh, by the employer than anything else. That's their default. And the other thing is, if you do that, then you're stuck with it. The other way is the court. Uh, you do it however you think is best and take your chance of going to court. So if you don't have the wherewithal to handle the fallout if you lose, uh, be sure what, what their classification should be. And some are quite clear. Uh, your CPA is you know, an independent contractor, okay? You're, 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 you're writing him a check and he has his own business he comes and goes as he please, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Sally in the office that's supposed to be there at eight and works till five 
and you tell her what to wear and how to answer the phone and when she can go to lunch, she's an employee. Okay. There's some of them are no questions. It's only a, a small percentage that is iffy. And then I've got, and it's been getting a lot of play, uh, a video on statutory employees and non-statutory employees. You have to know what those are. For instance, uh, real estate agents that may be an employee under common law are independent contractors by law. So there's a lot that goes with that. So if you're not sure, get with somebody, preferably a CPA, that understands employment and employment law and can advise you. And for the, um, for the contractor, for the employee, um, say I have, I'm, I'm an independent contractor and I get an option between W-2 or corp to corp, would you recommend one over the other? It depends on your particular circumstances. There's advantages for you to be an independent contractor. Uh, home office, uh, business expenses, uh, travel, uh, commuting uh, as an independent contractor is all deductible. So those things are valuable that you lose as an employee on a W-2. So it depends upon your particular circumstances. Well, I, I wasn't, um, I guess when I'm saying W-2, I'm still thinking contractor because sometimes, at least in my world, in the tech industry, right, sometimes you get hired as a contractor, but you're still, uh, I mean, you get hired as a contractor, but sometimes you get an option of uh, 1099 or W-2 um, or sometimes corp to corp. And well, if you're if you're if you, you know, get a W two, you're an employee. Okay. If you get a ten ninety nine, you're an independent contractor. If it's corp to corp, where you have a corporation that they're paying, then you internally can be an employee or an independent contractor for your own business, depending on the circumstances and what you do and so on. So, if the person who's paying you gives you a W two, you're an employee. Period. New paragraph. If he gives you a 1099, they're treating you as an independent contractor. Though, in some limited situations, they may actually withhold taxes on the 1099. But they're not paying Social Security or Medicare or FUDA or state unemployment. So if you get in a 1099 and they say, okay, the contract's done, you can't go file for unemployment. If you're getting a W-2, you're an employee, and they say, you're fired, uh, the job's terminated, whatever, you go file for your unemployment and you'll get it because you're being reported as an employee and unemployment taxes are being paid on your wages. So those are the, the three things. But you're either an independent contractor or you're an employee. Corp to corp, they're paying your corporation, they're paying your business, and then you're an employee or an independent contractor within that business. You're your own employer. Okay. okay. To I guess a little bit outside of the, the box. How does uh, cryptocurrency um, impact the whole payroll system? You know, I just had a conversation today with a gentleman who wants to set up so we can pay our clients, employees, part of their wages in crypto. 
Uh, and we are seriously considering that because uh, for the 18 to 35 demographic, uh, there's a lot of interest and use of cryptocurrencies. Uh, personally, I don't use them much at all myself, uh, but uh, I'm not 20 years old either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, when I was 20, I was a computer programmer, and I was a rare bird uh, with that knowledge at that point in time, you know, some 50 years ago. So uh, every generation has their own things and, and uh, new things and new technology. It's, it's an ever-changing thing. I remember reading a essay about how the youth of that day was, was corrupt and, and uh, the world was going to hell in a handbasket and they'd never be able to run the world when, when the, the writer of the essay died. And that was uh, Pliny the Younger, and it was written in about 100 BC. So things haven't changed in the last 2,000 years. The older generations always think that the young ones don't know what they're doing and they're going to ruin the world. Uh, apparently, we've all survived. So, you know, the world survives and moves forward. So, yeah, cryptocurrency is, is a thing. So is uh, payroll on demand, where you can get paid. You know, you work for Uber, you can get paid five times a day. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a very complex system. Uh, requires a lot of computerization, uh, and there's still. When I was on the IRS advisory council, we were discussing that in detail, and as part of our annual report, I listed about twenty questions that the IRS needed to address and promulgate regulations on concerning demand pay. And the same thing is going to have to be done on crypto because the regulations aren't written for that. It's too new. And the IRS takes forever to adapt to new things. <laughs> so uh, demand pay has not been done yet. And I don't expect crypto to, on the payroll side, to be addressed for several years yet. But yeah, it is something. Uh, it's going to happen. Uh, we're probably going to adopt it here in the next few months for the employees that are interested in it. Uh, we'll set them up with a wallet, and part of their payroll will be deposited to it automatically. Okay, it's coming. Okay, and thank you for that. Um, I guess tell us a little bit about Get Payroll and um, uh, how that helps businesses. Okay, Get Payroll. The, the first thing we do is we, we do your payroll. Uh, you give us the time, give us the information on the employees and rage weights and so on. We do all the calculations, write the checks or issue the direct deposits. And then we make sure everything is deposited on a timely basis and all the filings are done. Federal, state, and local are all done and are all correct. We guarantee it. If there's any fines or penalties uh, that are created because of our mistakes, we, we, we eat them. That's just how we do it. Um, so uh, our clients can put in their information online or fax it to us or call us with it occasionally, you know, uh, and we will get it done and get their people paid and uh, paid timely. And then everything's filed and deposited. So we take care of all that paperwork. And when the IRS screws up, 
and the IRS screws up many times. In fiscal 19, the IRS issued $16 billion in employment tax penalties. Over half got reversed by people like me. That means they were in error. So over $8 billion in employment tax penalties that the IRS issued were wrong. But if you don't know how to fix that, you're lost. The analogy I use is when I grew up, Pele was the world's best soccer player, (laughs) wonderful athlete, still alive. But if you took him and put him in a New York Yankees uniform and stuck him at second base, he'd be lost. He doesn't know the field, the rules, the equipment, the players, the play, throw the ball. I mean, he's a soccer player. Throw a ball. (laughs) You know, he's still a great athlete. But he's lost. So you take an entrepreneur as a restaurant, a manufacturing facility, a dog groomer, a mechanic, whatever. He's good at what he does or he wouldn't be in business. Okay? He may be a wonderful chef and restaurateur. But you take him and stick him at second base in the New York Yankees uniform and he's lost. He's You tell him to go, take, here, here's a tax problem, go solve it. He's, he's, you know, he's Pele at second base. He's lost. So we take care of that. You know, you may never need our compliance expertise, but hopefully you'll never need the fire insurance on your house, your auto insurance, or even your health insurance, but you carry them because if something happens, you got to have it. It's not worth the risk of not having it. That's what we provide for our payroll clients. When the IRS screws up, we fix it. So, with the podcasting being a growing, a new kind of, I guess, more of growing business, what are some tips for? Because we get a lot of podcast listeners as well, um, people that have their own podcasts. Even for us, what are some tips when setting up, you know, a podcast business? Because there hasn't necessarily been quite the same blueprint before. So, any tips on? Sure, I, the, the tips are the, you know. Everybody thinks their their payroll's unique. Everybody thinks their business is unique. But there's some base underlying principles. Have a good accounting system. Track all your revenues and all your expenses in detail. That, that's, that's the biggest thing. You should have a lawyer. You should have an accountant slash payroll company. Uh, you should have an insurance agent, and you should have a banker. And every business needs those four things, those four people, those four organizations. You can't operate in this country without them. So have those four. Uh, they can be relatively informal if you're small. You know, it could be your local Bank of America office, though Bank of America is not the best bank for small business. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was talking to my staff because we were looking for another ACH facility. And I said, you know, maybe I should call Bank America. 
and they all accuse me of going over to the dark side <laughs> uh, because we have more problems with Bank America than any other bank in the country. Wow. But those four things you need uh, when you get started to keep you from doing things that, because you don't know what you don't know. So you get experts in these four areas that will help you and advise you and keeping you from making what would otherwise be stupid mistakes through ignorance. It's not that you do it deliberately, though some people do. It's that you don't know. And if you don't know what you don't know, how, how do you yeah. prevent problems? So those four people, uh, plus track all your, you know, set up a good system it doesn't have to be a big computer system. I tell people, if you can keep track of everything on a single sheet of a yellow pad, <clears throat> you don't need a computer. Just use the yellow pad. That'll be fine. When you got to turn the page, then look for some software. That's, that, to me, is the deciding point of whether or not you need software. It's if you have to turn the page. So those are some basic things. Uh, then I think the biggest thing must be as it is for many of the businesses, including my own, is marketing. And you need to learn how to market. And you need to understand how to market your business. If you don't, uh, you'll never be what you could be. So marketing is critical. It's a mistake I made in my business. I thought I could market. So for many years, I took care of the marketing. Then I'd finally gotten so busy here a few years ago, I hired a marketing person. And it took me about two weeks to realize I couldn't market my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> they were so far superior to me in marketing that it was not even funny. Mm. And we've done much, much better since I heard marketing people. They're not cheap, but they pay for themselves quite quickly and, and many times over. So that was a learning thing for me. I thought, uh, you know, when you hire people to, to, to backstop you and to take responsibilities and things you can delegate to. You need to know what you need to delegate and what you need to, which hat you need to take off and put on somebody else. And I thought I could wear the marketing hat and I couldn't. So that was my mistake and I learned from it. Can you give me a little insight on how, um, or give us and the listeners a little insight on um, how sponsorships work with businesses? Like if a company chooses to sponsor um, another, I guess, type of project. How does that usually work with uh, certain companies? That's not something I do, and I'm not familiar with. Okay. So, I mean, the only the only sponsorships that I've uh, have information on would be book learning. I I'm really not. There's there's far far better people to advise your listeners than me on that. As far as like <laughs> writing off their taxes and things like that, when it comes to oh well, you know, obviously, if you spend money, it's deductible. Now, here's another thing. Take all your deductions. If you spent the money, it's deductible. Even if you don't have the receipt, if you've lost the receipt, take the deduction. It's absolutely legal to do so. You might lose it in an audit because they say you can't prove it, but it is absolutely legal to take every deduction for every expense you have, whether you have the receipt or not. Don't let that Say, well, I can't prove it, so I'm not going to take it. Even if you everything gets burnt and, and lost totally, the IRS has to be reasonable about your expenses. 
they can't say, well, yeah, I'm a restaurant, but the, the fire for all my food receipts burned down. They said, well, then we won't give any food costs. They can't do that. They have to be reasonable. Okay. The court will not allow them to be unreasonable. So uh, always take all your deductions. Uh, sponsorships, if you're uh, anything you do for advertisement is, is deductible. Okay. Now, if you give away product, you can only deduct the cost, not the market value. In other words, if you've got you know, whatever, if I give away a payroll, I only get to deduct what it costs me to produce that payroll, software, people, time, computers, and so on. The fact that I might sell it for twice that, <clears throat> I, I don't get to deduct the profit. I only get to deduct the cost. So, um, for instance, the book. I give away the book uh, because it helps, you know, enhance my business, I think. And your listeners, I will give them an opportunity to get a free book if they'd like it on, on payroll, the payroll book. But, I have costs in producing those books, and I get to deduct that, whether I give away or not. But I don't get to deduct the retail value of the book when I give it away, only the cost. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Do you work, um, do you only work with local clients or? Um, no, no, we're national. Okay. We're, we're in, I think, 48 states currently. I don't think we have anybody in Montana at the moment or Alaska. Uh, we have people in Hawaii. We have people in Florida, Texas, of course, and the, and the rest of the states. We have clients everywhere, which is makes life interesting. <laughs> well, so if there's somebody in Montana that needs payroll, we'd love to have you. <laughs> but before we get ready to close um, everything out, would you like to give them more information on your book and where they can find sure. it, links and things like that? Uh they can find me at getpayroll.com. My email is cjr at getpayroll. But if they will go to thepayrollbook.com and enter the discount code podcast, we will ship them a free book. Okay. Period. Uh, no shipping, no handling, no nothing. A free book, the payroll book, a guide for small businesses and startups. So anybody that'd like that, just go on to thepayrollbook.com put in the discount code podcast, give me the mailing information. And in a day or two, we will mail you a, a free book. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. For your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And we'd like to thank our listeners for listening. Um, uh, for the podcast, you can find us at americangypsy.com. Um, we also have merchandise at luamlee.com. And we have music from Classic Carpenter. You can check out some of my music at Classic Carpenter, K-L-A-C-C-I-K, Carpenter, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. Some nice cello music and some instrumentals um, if you'd like to just check that out. To, again, to our listeners, thank you. Mr. Reed, thank you so much. And if you're ever in Los Angeles, feel free to stop by in studio and we can sit down and have another recording conversation. And and just have Excellent. A, a, I'll do a, that. another genuine conversation with you. My pleasure. And, and thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners, consistent self-improvement, everybody. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you. Peace.
Peace. Peace.